Welcome to Lancelot's Roundtable Podcast. On Lancelot's Roundtable Podcast, I gather at the table with special guests and listen to their unique stories and learn about their lives. In having these long-form conversations, I hope to grow in my perspective and understanding. So get ready and listen in. As you listen to this and other episodes, perhaps your life will be enriched in some meaningful ways. But in order to figure out what's off and what needs to be corrected, I feel like you have to kind of be ready to stare into a bit of a scary abyss. You just realized you have no more coffee. Correct. Well, it was tea. <laughs> oh, I like okay. looked into my mug and like, yep, it's pure we're disappointment done. on his face. We're done. Pure disappointment. <laughs> it's, it's true. You know, we're not going to. Doing what I'm doing, I'm not going to stop crime. Mm-hmm. Like, people are always, it's just going to happen. People are going to be evil. People are going to do evil things. Um, but if someone doesn't do something, then it's just going to be that much worse. What about Hobbit? Where do you stand on Hobbit? I just want to ask. I wish I was one. All right, everybody, welcome back to Lancelot's Roundtable. Before we get into today's episode, please consider supporting our work. We want to continue to bring you the best episodes we can. Here's how you can support. First, please consider leaving us a five-star review. Helps people find us. Second, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, consider making a $5 donation by going to our Instagram page and clicking the link in our bio. Thank you so much for all the support. This episode has been brought to you by Orphan World Relief. Since its founding in 2008, Orphan World, World Relief has built strong partnerships with churches, businesses, other nonprofit organizations, and people just like you to help children in crisis, including those living as orphans and refugees, kids living in foster care for the first time, entering foster care for the first time, older children aging out of the foster care system, families as they deal with the stress and trauma of foster care and adoption. Want to know more? Head over to orphanworldrelief.org to see how you can help by volunteering and or donating. Orphan World Relief. Hope changes everything. So for today's episode, I wanted to take time to discuss grief. I don't personally think I've ever been equipped with how to handle deep, dark, raw grief. I've seen friends and family lose people really close to them, and there is nothing poetic and no smooth edges to deep grief. Therefore, I wanted to dedicate an episode of Lancelot's Roundtable to discuss Greece. Grief, not Greece. Two different things. <laughs> For this episode, I am welcoming, welcoming back two amazing previous guests on the podcast. Maggie Rhine, whom you will remember from Lancelot's Roundtable podcast, season one, episode five. I'm also thrilled to welcome back Bo Uten, whom you will remember from Lancelot's Roundtable podcast, season two, episode 25. If you haven't listened to those episodes, take some time and go back and give them a listen. I'm also happy to welcome Kim back for this episode. Maggie, Bo, Kim, welcome back to the roundtable. Hey. Hey, it's great to be here. It's great to have you guys. So as you can imagine for this episode, I did some prep. I took some time to go back and listen to Jocko Podcast 201 with Ryan Mannion. In that episode podcast, or excuse me, in that podcast, Jocko reads excerpts from Ryan's book, The Knock at the Door. In that book, Ryan takes us through her process of losing her brother 
United States Marine Corps First Lieutenant Travis Mannion, who was killed in action in 2007 in Iraq. He and his fellow Marines were ambushed while on a mission. Travis died after dragging several of his wounded Marines to safety. I recommend you take the time and go listen to that episode of Chaco Podcast. I also took some time to read bits from C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, which is a collection of raw and honest writings from a journal he wrote after his dear wife died. They had only been married for four years. Finally, as part of this prep, I started writing down a few thoughts, and I wanted to share these thoughts as a kind of opening statement. Grief. The rawness. The terrible finality of it. Nothing can speed it up or slow it down. It drags seemingly on and on. It's agony. You can never really prepare for it. You may live in a society, as I feel I do, where we aren't really equipped, equipped to handle the deepest grief. Grief. It's a chasm of numbing emptiness which turns everything to ash. It puts a stifling blanket across your entire world. It's a giant that sits in your mind, pushing everything out, and it keeps anything from getting in. No matter where you turn, it puts itself directly in front of your vision, so there's nothing else you can see. Grief. It forever changes you. Like it's killed part of you, and you know you can simply never be the same. It, carve, it carves a large swath in your life being, like a terrible scar on the landscape of your life. Now you'll always see it. Now you'll always know it's there. Those around you will see it too, though at least to some extent for them, life will go on. But for you, your life can't go on as it once had. Because, as I said, you'll never be the same. So, nothing like a light topic on a Saturday. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> So, Maggie, Bo, Kim, welcome to the grief episode. Good to have you here. Thanks. Thank you. Why don't you go first, yeah, talk well, I can, about yours. I think I'll just kind of, I'll You've help us dip our this. toe in real slow. I think I just want to say, like, my experience in this, in the last two months, has been, letting, like, giving myself permission to go to dark places. And so there is this book... Would I'll you call it an some, abyss? I would call it an abyss. <laughs> There's a, this book that I've been reading. I'm going to share some quotes from it later. But um, it's Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she mentions the difference between a solar Christian and a lunar Christian. And how the some of the churches that we've lived and walked in, they kind of approach your grief with like, well, at least. Mm. Or... But still, you know, mm. and so ha having that permission for yourself, maybe no other believer or family member or friend has that for you, but to have it for yourself, to say it's okay to, to be in a dark place. For as long as it As long as, as it takes, as long as it takes, but to find the Lord there, because he is there. And so the, the idea that darkness is dangerous, I think, has been a lie. Mm. that has has twisted the the ability for believers to feel the freedom to go there. So while darkness can be scary, it's not necessarily dangerous and and we need more practice being in the dark. S speaking into that CS Lewis a grief observed. 
It is hard to have patience with people who say, there is no death, or death doesn't matter. There is death, and whatever is matters, and whatever happens has consequences. And it and they are irrevocable and irreversible. You might as well say that birth doesn't matter. I look up at the night sky. Is anything more certain than that in all those vast times and spaces, if I were allowed to search them, I should nowhere find her face, her voice, her touch? She died. She is dead. Is the word so difficult to learn? Yeah, (laughs) there it is. So, yeah, just to kind of help us jump in, thank you guys for being people in our lives who know how to walk in the dark and help us feel like we'll be okay, too. I heard somewhere, and I've never forgotten it, at least are like the two most damaging words. Oh, gosh, yes. At least. At least he's not suffering anymore. At (laughs) least it was quick. At least... A, B, C, and D, yeah. or whatever. I've always said that if I wrote a book on grieving, I would call it at least, because mm. I, yep. in our culture, we're uncomfortable with pain more than other cultures um, who have experienced death. Um, you know, in some places in Europe, in the Middle East, um, people wear black for a year, and everybody knows they're grieving. And here, after your few days, you're back at work, and you yeah. just need to be okay, even when you're not okay. Yeah. So at least is damaging. I agree. Those are awful mm-hmm. words. It's that toxic positivity we hear people talk about. Like, yeah. I just need you to be okay, so I'm going to be really positive around you. Right. So, but still, at least, whatever it is, you just need to fit into what I need you to be right now. And yeah. and it's hard to express grief when you're experiencing that, experiencing that from people close to you. Yeah. 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 There's a, we have a tendency to want to get back to comfort in our culture, no matter what's going on. And death, the finality of something like death, isn't something that we have to necessarily contend with. And it's not something that we plan for. We're not at risk, as we were 500 years ago, of going out and getting killed hunting or something like that. It's pretty... People get in a state of shock, I think, when when a death happens that's unexpected. That's what I kind of meant in those things that I was writing where I was saying, I personally don't... Like, especially walking with Kim through her losing her dad, it's like, man, there's not like a lesson. There's not something I ever went through Mm -hmm. that talked about what grief would be like. Um, And like, like we've never sat down as a family, my immediate family, not that, but I know, I don't know how like a family would necessarily even need to approach it or how you would be educated. That's in quotes, educated in, in the ways of grief, but yeah, in other cultures, I think you're probably around death more than more than we are. And if you go through death for the first time, chances are the people that are around you probably haven't had to go through that, and so they can't necessarily help you through it. So I've been thinking a lot about that in my mind, and I didn't know how to really think through it further than I had, but that was definitely a driving thought in my mind was feeling unprepared. So how prepared did you all feel? when you had to go through grief? Well, just a couple of things that strike me as you're talking. First of all, uh, it is challenging when you feel for a spouse or somebody that you love unprepared Mm -hmm. for how to help them through it. But, and at the same time, I also wonder if a little bit of that is helpful only because you have expectations about how somebody should go through grief Mm -hmm. or how you've gone through grief. And, 
and especially when we're talking about death and loss, a family going through a loss, that can be really, really um, impactful in a negative way if I expect you to go through it one way and you mm-hmm. go through it differently. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And so then there's something wrong with you if you're not experiencing right. grief the same way I am. Right. And so then just ruptures just get bigger and bigger and it makes it really difficult. So yeah. that's the first thing I thought that it, we do want to be prepared. But even the fact that you weren't, Lance, made you more open potentially to how Kim was experiencing it because you didn't have any expectations and you just sort of possibly were there with her more. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I'd but say that's probably accurate because, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, we're just going in this boat together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could definitely see myself if I had gone through it to be like, come on. Mm-hmm. Right, get it together. You're get supposed together. to be at this phase by now. Stop, right, being, whatever. A, yeah. stop being a wuss. Yeah, um, well, I mean, we can we can give our audience a little more context here, but I can kind of share, like, the, you know, October 5th, uh, two years ago? 2020. Yeah, it was two years yeah. ago. 2020. Uh, so right we, in the midst of COVID. Yeah, we right, right in the middle. We, we got a call uh, early in the morning, and my, my mom had said, you know, you got to get down to the hospital. You just have to be here. And I knew, I knew something was wrong. And I always have like, uh, you know, voices of things in my head, like there's, there's something deeper here. And so I said, is he still alive? And she said, I can't lie to you. Mm. He's gone. Mm. And so I, I like dropped the phone and my, my muscles just went numb and you yelled, what? Yeah. And like I was in in the room still kind of in bed at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And so you yelling what my mind instantly like pieced things together. Yeah, because the yeah. shock is just so he like was, he was in the hospital to get his part two of his heart of surgery. two heart surgeries that yeah. were supposed to really like repair his heart in a major way. Make so he was better. gonna be yeah. doing way better in terms of his yeah. heart. Yeah. And so I was like, something happened while he was at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's what happened. Yeah, he was in a wheelchair on the way to the surgery, and he had a heart attack in the, in the chair. Right. And we had, he had just been at the house the night before. Yeah, he had come over for dinner, and I had, like, cut his hair, and he was, you know, loving on my kids. And, I mean, those, those are the moments you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad we didn't, like, yes. have to reschedule that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Thank the Lord that happened. Do you know how to cut hair? I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Side note. I know. I yeah, we like, haven't paid for haircuts in like if you, if you eight like years. My haircut, That's awesome. It's a, it's a so haircut. I might have a little time after this. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Here we go. It's so funny when um, my dad was still living, he and I used to take walks together and we used to talk about weird things. I, I think sometimes we shared a brain. He was a person most like me walking on this earth in terms of how we saw things. Mm. And we would talk about the best way to die. Mm. And we would say, well, for the family, you know, something like cancer is probably better because you can say goodbye, but mm. a heart attack is for the person the best way to die. We would discuss it. Because it's just totally. over. It's you don't have to go through pain. And um, I always think about that. And wow. how. Um, and when my mom got cancer in 06, she had pancreatic cancer. So from, so from the time she was diagnosed till she passed away was six weeks, which isn't a long time, but we were able to kind of um, knit things together, yeah. say what needed to be said. Yeah. Um, and that was a shock. I was in my early thirties when that happened. But then my brother, Eric, three years later committed suicide. 
And wow. that was a shock, right? Right. And that was so very different than having a heart attack, but the finality and the suddenness of it is similar. And mm-hmm. that is, that's the roughest one, man. I, yeah. I think For it's both so sides, hard. probably. Yeah, 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 I think so. To not be able to say what you want to say, to kind of sew up your relationship or mm-hmm. what, what, however you'd want to say it. Um, I, that, there's a lot of stuff around the suddenness of it with that, well, with suicide especially, there's yeah. there's regret and, and some other things as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Is there anything I could have done, could have said, yeah. could have, yeah. Right. That's yeah. right. That's but right. for context, could you talk, because in, in the podcast episode that we already recorded, you mentioned your dad. So could you kind of, because t- I didn't know about, I don't think I knew about your brother. Okay. I don't think I knew about your mom either. So can you kind of talk us through? <laughs> All the death. Yeah. <laughs> the timeline. Good. Yeah. My mom died in 06 of pancreatic cancer. My mm-hmm. brother, Eric, died in... Oh, nine of suicide. Eric had, um, it's funny. I grew up in Southern Ohio in the seventies and we definitely had depression and mental health issues in our family, but you didn't know how to deal with depression. And so yeah. my uh, brother, Eric was addicted to cocaine mm-hmm. and he was using and dealing cocaine. We found out, um, and he ran out of money, was scared for some multiple reasons and took his life. Mm-hmm. And then in 12, my brother, Mike, um, he died of, um, lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So we had every three years, somebody died. Jeez. And then in 15, we were taking bets on who was next. Cause we have a weird sense of humor in our mm-hmm. family. Right. Mm-hmm. And deal with it this is the, yeah, this is the funny thing about grief. There's humor in the mm-hmm. suffering sometimes. Yeah. And we, and our family were, we think we're funny anyway. And so there's a lot of joking amidst the heartache too. Mm-hmm. So, and then my dad, um, he got diagnosed with multiple myeloma in 2016 and that's a can a blood cancer that pretty much eats your bones. It's, it's just an awful cancer. Um, and then we we spent the next couple two and a half years. He he went into remission. We were excited, and then he then it came back um, with a fury, and mm-hmm. eventually it it claimed his life in December of eighteen. Um, yeah, but walking through all that from um, it's it's just numbing and surreal. I think I'm. St- Still, I don't think I grieved well. I related to the girl who said she didn't grieve her brother's death well. And then mm-hmm. when her mom died, she's like, whoa. Especially yep. those first three deaths. I don't think I dealt with them well. I, th- I, um, I think when my dad died, I was very close to him. And, and that was, he was my person, kind of. So to lose him was yes. really tough. And um, I, I've grieved that. I don't know if I've grieved it well. I've grieved it more. I've taken more time to be sad about it, mm-hmm. which it goes against my instinct of wanting just to be productive and get things done right. and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it's rough. And I, I don't know. I still think I'm kind of in a numb haze sometimes mm-hmm. with it all because my world looks very different than it did a few years ago. Right? That makes yeah. complete sense. That's really good context. I Yeah, in the in. The podcast, Jocko Podcast 201, Jocko's talking about it from a perspective of the guys that he lost because he's a Navy SEAL commander. So he talks about it from the perspective of the guys that that they lost. And he, he had a really good word picture. He talked about grief as being like waves. Initially, it's really rough, hard waves just beating you, hitting you hard, and you have no control over it. And then as time goes on, the waves come over longer periods of time. That's good. But you have no control over when they do come. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're then, not they're not automatically spaced. Exactly. Right. right. And then Ryan was talking about that because she she's she talks about being the kind of person who doesn't like to show emotion. And so the fact that she would have ugly crying episodes that would happen and she had no control over it, she despised that. Yeah. So yeah. 
maybe Maggie, I was maybe thinking you could get into it maybe from a perspective of, you know, your counseling background. Can you talk to us a little bit and give us some terms and maybe definitions around like what, what even grief is and maybe like help us provide a framework of how yeah. to think, how to think about the word maybe. Yeah. Um, before that though, I sure. want to read this quote that I found, um, in a grief training that I did not actually last year. My grief, it goes to this, what y'all were talking about, the waves and the unexpected when it comes back. My grief is like an old-fashioned, hard-sided suitcase. It's lined with silky, faded, burgundy material and little elastic pockets attached to the sides for storing small trinkets or precious items that you'd want to keep safe during your travels. For me, that captures the way we can carry our grief around with us. Even when we think we've unpacked it completely, we can still find something surprising hidden away in one of those side compartments, maybe something we haven't seen or thought about for years, and probably something uplifting and something, mm -hmm, you know, sad, too, yeah. in those mm -hmm. little pockets. But I just thought that was perfect. Yeah. yeah. That's a really, really good quote. Finding something <laughs> unexpected, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. But you are always carrying it. But you are always, always carrying it. it. And that's not a bad thing. Right. It's how we carry it and how we have um, sort of processed it and, and not reframed, but sort of reassessed and restructured our lives and yeah. rather yeah. than staying with, you know. So uh, the, the actual definition of, of grief is um, from that, you know, psychological the process of experiencing the psychological, behavioral, social, and physical reactions to the experience of loss. Jeez. So it's mind, body, soul, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I wanted to say in the midst of all of this is that we're talking a lot about death, but yeah, we have a lot of grief that refers to a lot of loss in our lives that doesn't mean just death. Right. right. And yep. if we don't grieve the losses all along the way, like... We have a saying where I um, counsel, actually, that uh, every loss deserves uh, a, a, a grieving. Mm -hmm. Every loss deserves to be grieved, whether it's the loss of your favorite pet yeah. or person or pen. Mm -hmm. Right or yeah. pen, like and that. we yeah. don't we don't um, allow each other to grieve yeah. little losses. That's it's just right. a pen. Get over it, kid. Yeah, yeah. you know right? whatever. Yeah. Right? But but I think that that, like you said, Lance, in in this in and or Bo, maybe you said it in this in America, especially we don't um, really learn how to grieve, and so as we grow, when those bigger things happen, those bigger losses. Uh, it's even harder. Yeah, because almost, uh, yeah, we did, I did kind of focus on death there, but I mean, isn't any, any potential loss that you have serve as a practice zone for how to grieve properly? Absolutely. So if I'm a kid and, my, and I lose a pet and my family doesn't do a good job of helping me walk through my grief, I just kind of lost a chance to, to learn about grief. Um, so I think that's a really good point, Maggie. Yeah, I I mean honestly, like even thinking back, because I went back and I listened to part of our podcast mm. um, from season one, 
And even thinking about grief, like I clearly needed to grieve the loss of aviation and becoming a pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. Clearly I needed to do it. And clearly I didn't. <laughs> clearly I didn't at all. <laughs> what it looked like for me was I didn't want to look at it. It was really hard to look at it. Mm-hmm. It was really painful to look at it. And I was really angry. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was too angry to, to look at it. But not looking at it obviously did more damage, I think, over time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, at that age, we talked about it in the podcast. And it's really funny because that was almost like a mini, like, almost like a mini counseling session for me. Because <laughs> I don't think I was planning on bringing it up, but that's just kind of how the conversation went. And, like, as I talked about it, I was just remembering how hard it was. Because enough time had passed, and I'm in a very different place in life. But still looking back at it, it's like, that was really, like, really hard loss for me. So thanks for coming Just on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why it was such a good episode too. And it informs our every day. We're always like, Oh, you're looking at an abyss today. I'm here for you. Yeah, I had to I had to I had to go back and edit it in doses and I was yeah. not excited about publishing it, but I, I knew I because I felt like I was real I it was a raw episode for me. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to publish. So it was but that was probably all of those steps that I had to go through of talking about it with you, recording it, editing it, listening to it. And then finally publishing it for people to listen to. Those were probably all good steps. You know what? That is such a great point just for grieving in general. Telling the story and mm. being allowed to tell the story yeah. over mm. and over. Because as we, and asking, you know, allowing each other to talk about the emotions. What are you feeling in that? Because uh, the more we can do that, the more we can feel what we're feeling and talk about why we're feeling it and what we're feeling. We're connecting the mind and the body and, and the soul and we're connecting our right brain and our left brain and, yeah. and we're 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 putting some so especially with kids, you know, you have them tell them tell the story. And then what happened? And then remember mm. when, when grandma came and picked you up after you'd heard you know, and so it just then gets resolved so they're not stuck in that yucky part. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so a good. clinical term. The yucky, the yucky part. part. Very <laughs> clinical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that you brought up a good point because we obviously our kids have gone through losing, mm-hmm. losing their grandfather. And it's, it is interesting because this month we've observed all three of them at different times being really emotional mm-hmm. about a thing. And it's clearly not that thing. Yeah. That they're like, being I really don't emotional. think you're really upset about that thing. Is there something else going on? And there's like a, a pause. And then you can tell like, I miss Baba. Wow. Okay. Yep. You know, get in here. Like, let's, let's just cry for a minute. Oh, that's so fabulous Mm. that y'all are like listening and, and asking and allowing. And And when we knew the pattern, cause it was me that week. And then you can kind of tell two, three weeks later, it hits the kids, you know, cause they're watching and observing how you're dealing with it. And then they realize, oh, this is. A safe place to feel stuff. Which then is a whole different level of grief for you all, yeah. watching your right. kids yeah. grieve. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So this is, this is Barbara Brown Taylor, but she talks about relearning how to sit with bad emotions, yucky emotions, right? So she says, after years of being taught, the way to deal with painful emotions is to get rid of them. It takes reschooling to learn to sit with them instead finding out from those who feel them what they've learned by sleeping in the wilderness that those who sleep in comfortable houses may never know. Mm -hmm. 
So she talks about going out to see the moon rise instead of a sunrise. <clears throat> Sorry. So I want to talk a little bit through this like relearning that our culture needs to do on how to grieve. And so she kind of goes after like darkness is this big word that sort of encompasses fear, loss, like any, anything negative really that makes us uncomfortable. So do you just need more practice being in the dark? Do you need more practice being in fear? Do you need more practice? And so where we're going to avoid, she says, like, like a mom who's like, oh, it's getting dark, like come inside, to flip it and say, it's getting dark now, it's time to come outside. Hmm. So being aware of, it's getting dark, how do I make it a friend instead of run away from it? Hmm. So how, how's that experience been for you guys and being okay to just walk out in the dark? It's a good question. It's funny, last night I was um, going to an event and I had a friend in the car from Southern Ohio and um, she's around my age and when um, we were driving, her mom called her. She goes, I need to get this. And I could hear her mom talking to her. Her mom's in her 80s. And so, you know, my parents are from, I'm from Southern Ohio. My parents are from Southern Ohio. Um, and I've lost my accent over the years. Somebody thought I was from New Jersey the other day. I'm like, no, I'm from Jackson County. Not but even close. Southern not even, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So anyway, I heard her mom saying, how are you doing? How was your day? And she was asking her questions about what she had done yesterday um, at this um, event she was at. And I got I got so sad because mm. I'm like, I don't have a mom to call and ask me these things anymore. Oh. And it was, and then she sounded like my mom because she was... Apple, you know, the Appalachian accent and everything. And I didn't let on to my friend that it made me sad, but I was like, oh, that broke my heart. And my mom died in 2006. It's not recent, you know, a long time ago, but it just came back. And I let myself feel the feeling. I let myself feel sad about it. Yeah, right? Good job. Yeah, we don't have our clap thing, but we're clapping for you. (laughs) So that was, uh, because often I try not to feel the feelings. Maggie will contest that I love comfort. How do I get comfort? Let's find comfort. But yeah. Yes, I I agree with that statement. So how can you talk through the process, how how you walked through that? Because you said you didn't want to show it to your friends. So how did you feel it without showing it to your friends? Yeah, I am. Did you set it aside? No, I, I, while we were in the car, I just felt sad about it. And then we went to this um, Republican slate card dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And, um, and then <laughs> as you do, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and then at the end of it, I left, I had left before it was over because I have a diabetic cat and I have to give him shots. <laughs> so I had to leave early. And um, I, when I was in my car driving home, I cried about it. Yeah. I thought about Got it and it. cried about it. And even now I'm teary eyed about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Good. it's okay to be teary eyed about it. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's one, that's one thing that, Ryan talks about in her thing is like, because well, I relate to her because I don't like to show my feelings. I don't like to show my feelings in public, and I'd rather yeah. just not feel it and move on. That's that's how I handle things. You too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So when she talks about how she thought she was dealing with her grief and how she started throwing herself into work and different things, and then it started hitting her again, and she didn't handle it well, and she didn't know how to handle it well. That's what I want to be able to do. And I'm not good at it, and I need more practice at it. Is And I think, you, Kim, you said the word practice, and Lance, you're saying, I think that's exactly what it is. But it is, it's risk. 
And remember yeah. way back in that first episode, we talked about soar. And, yes. yeah. and the last piece is risk. Yes. Because right. everything in our body says no. We don't want to yeah. go there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels life and death. Right. Right. Yeah. And especially for those of us who didn't, uh, who weren't allowed to grieve when we were younger because we didn't want to put the pain on our parents. Mm-hmm. We didn't, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, we didn't yeah. learn. And so now that's how we've trained ourselves to just dissociate from that pain. Yeah. And so you have to be motivated. You have to know this is why I want to allow my feelings yeah. because yeah. I don't want it to come crashing down at work. I don't want to lash yeah. out at my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And then you have to take little risks, right? Little yep. steps of putting your toe in the water. And I, I think the biggest thing is having a safe person to do so. Yeah. Because like yes. Bo, you're mentioning, I don't have my mom to, to, to call and ask me those questions anymore. And it, I, the biggest thing I think that when, when we are young and, and we have those emotions and nobody comes like your mom came, obviously yeah. your moms came, but but still, we the when we grieve today, if it's such a feeling of aloneness, right? And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. connecting with somebody safe in the midst, like you were talking about earlier, who can just sit with you in the darkness, yeah, that yeah. is going to enable you to take a little risk to feel the to feel the feelings. But you, it, there's there's a measure of I just have to do it. I yeah, have to yeah. let myself go there, but it's a titrating thing. I'm going to go there a little bit and then I'll come back out and right. I'll go jump rope or something. Right. You know, right. you don't yeah. have to let it all come at once. Yeah. yeah. Right. And all that right. doesn't make it efficient either. Like if, yeah. you know, you can't like pre-grieve oh. and be like, I'm done. <laughs> so I'm yeah. all done. I don't have to do anymore. Yeah, it's not like brushing yes. your teeth. You can't control. <laughs> no, when you, you don't do it. have control over it. Although Pre-grieving, interesting. I've read this great article on anticipatory grief, yes. and so yes. I do when, that when you have <laughs> when you have somebody who's dying. Um, I have a friend who is actually um, who Maggie knows too, whose mother was fighting cancer for eleven years, mm. and what a long time to yeah. go through losing somebody. So during the final time, when you realize this is not going to end well, mm. you actually start grieving their death before, before they die. Gone. Because you know that it's coming. And I think when you have family members who have cancer, that happens a lot. I know my family, my mom's cancer was fast. So I don't, we did some grieving. But with my dad, we're like, wow, this is going to, you know, you you grieve a lot before they die too. Wow. Is that a conscious thing or do you have to consciously do it? No. Well, it might be conscious. Maybe. I don't know. That article was really good. I'll find it and um, get it to you. But for those listening, if you're interested in the concept of anticipatory death, if you Google it. There's a lot out there about it. Or not death, anticipatory grief. Yeah. There's sometimes it's good, yeah. and sometimes you're grieving things that, you know, are are like you were saying. Yeah. My guess is that uh, Kim, anticipatory grief for you is negative because you're grieving things that may or may not happen. It may not happen. Yeah, yeah. It was more of a, it's more of a control thing of like, oh, if I grieve this now, then I can be like done with it, and then I won't have to deal with it later, and I can just go on with life. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know what, can I say one other thing about um, preparation? How yes. do we prepare? Because um, you're talking about the, being comfortable with the darkness, yeah. right? And, and being, a, what did you call it, a solar Christian versus a lunar yeah. Christian? Yeah, so a solar Christian, like I have to be happy all the time. Yeah. I can't be sad. Love those but concepts. But the lunar phase, sometimes there's no moon at all. 
and sometimes there's a sliver and sometimes there's a full moon. Like your grief can be all across the board. So yeah. when it, you, some, you guys know Terry Wardle, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, he likes to talk about the fact that he's met Jesus more in uh, the ditch 100%. on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. So ditch theology is what he calls it. And so <laughs> I would say that with the darkness too. I think the biggest way that we can prepare is to to prepare our souls as yeah. much as we can and yeah. to yeah. to realize that intimacy with him the more we can. I mean, I don't know, you know, the faith of people listening, but that's our faith. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and so to 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 build that relationship and f- and feel that intimacy with him now yeah. so that you don't feel so alone. So that when yeah. you get in the car after you've had a gut punch from a friend's mom right. and you're crying, you know that you're crying and he's right there with you, yeah. comforting yeah. you. Yeah. You know, right. See, so that's a really good point, and that's something that I can go to, and I've needed to be really aware of for my major, my major loss in aviation. I, I grew up a Christian. I grew up in a non-denominational church. I did all the things you were supposed to do in the non-denominational church. Volunteered, all that, all that stuff. When that happened, I didn't know how to look at anything anymore, mm-hmm. and it wrecked anything that I, that I had called a faith. Um, I didn't renounce anything, but I definitely was like, all right, that can just stay over there. And I'm just, I'm just going to be over here. Um, and it was a long, slow process of re, I think I wouldn't even say refinding my faith. I would say it was a long process of Jesus being with me until I realized he was there. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's, I, that's probably how I put that. Yeah. Um, but that that's the thing that really gets me is like I kind of wonder and I've thought about this and I don't have like really good or thought out thoughts on this but well, how could I have better been prepared to have not been so utterly like waylaid by that not to always keep talking about that but that's that was a significant thing in the past or or do you need to be prepared to Mm. not be waylaid i'll Mm. tell you Mm. when my when mike and eric died eric and then mike Mm. i um for years had been praying they both had addiction issues would pray 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 please god deliver them they went to rehab a million times growing when i was growing up they're a little older than me um my grandmother was praying for them my parents are praying for them they had like prayer they were on the prayer chain (laughs) everybody was praying for them and they never got better and they died yeah. And I was so mad at God. Yeah. yeah. And I I had a hard time with God during that time. I'm like, how dare you save these people? But my brothers, you 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 didn't save them. And I'm smart enough to know there's free choice and I get that. But mm-hmm. during that time I was really just angry at him. Yeah. And I was waylaid. Yeah. But I think it's okay to be waylaid. I don't mm. think you can prepare. I mean, you always want to keep God close, right? And I would say to people who are listening to this who aren't believers, mm-hmm. just know that God is there with you. It's okay to be mad at him, yeah. Yeah. but try talking to him right. mm-hmm. in your valley, in your ditch, because mm-hmm. he hears you mm-hmm. and he'll show up for you, even if you don't believe it. Trust me, he will. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe there is a way to be prepared. That's, I don't know what it is. No, that's a really, really, really good point because sometimes you can't learn a lesson until you get hit. Right. Yeah. That's actually a concept. La- the most recent episode that you guys would have heard would have been the season opener, which is with my uh, karate instructor for years. Great episode. I love recording it. Hopefully you listened to it. But one thing that we talked about is how 
the training that I was able to do in martial arts helped me encounter my ceiling or my, or my wall, mm-hmm. things that I couldn't conquer. I got mm-hmm. to find things that I didn't know if I could conquer or not and figured out how to conquer it, which is really important lessons as a, as a young person. However, nothing can prepare you and teach you how to handle a roundhouse kick other than getting hit by a roundhouse kick. You can talk all day about getting right. hit by a roundhouse mm-hmm. kick and how to, you know, I don't know, not be waylaid mm-hmm. by said roundhouse mm-hmm. kick, but mm-hmm. getting hit by the roundhouse kick can be the best lesson yeah. mm. in that sense. So I think I agree with your point. Um, that was a weird way of going about that. No, it makes total <laughs> sense. Yeah. And, you know, um, and it's in the midst of getting kicked, mm. yeah. <laughs> right, that you that you that you learn on some mm-hmm. level. If mm-hmm. you had run from that kick, yeah, then all you're doing is teaching yourself, oh, I, I have to run every time there's a kick. You're, you're yes. confirming that. So right. I love that point, Bo. And, it, and I think about lamenting, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. what so many of the, of the Psalms are yeah. all about lament mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and how I am just going to let it all out at God. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to, and, and mm-hmm. so when we don't want to feel our emotions and all of that, uh, or when we do, but we don't know how to, that's a good way to do it is just to sit down and write about yeah. all your feelings yeah. to, yep. to God. Those are two really important things. And I can remember not being able to feel whatever it is that I needed to feel and going and reading a Psalm. And there's something about certain Psalms that David wrote where it's like, he's painting a picture and that picture isn't getting better. Mm. And he's just word vomiting mm. out all of the emotion and I would read it and be like, that's exactly how I feel. Mm. And then just start bawling. Mm, Happily, yeah. nobody was around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, would, I would do that in the comfort of my own room. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then to your point, how you talked about needing to like say your story, and you just mentioned writing. Mm. Writing can be really cathartic. Yeah. Um, I honestly used to, I used to journal very frequently and very often. And then after that whole thing happened, I got sick of what I was writing. Mm. So I kind of stopped. <laughs> and then life got busy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, no, I mean to to sort of jump on that the biblical train of how God works in the dark. So the pattern is God creates in the dark. Mm-hmm. And mm. night like like the absence of light, it was something he made. So he, and his designs are perfect. So it's it can't be bad. We're just we learned accidentally to be afraid of it. Um, and then the pattern continues on because everything's, you know, symbolic. There's always layers. So um, it's Moses who gets the Ten Commandments in a dark cloud on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Jacob who wrestles God in the dark. And it's Joseph who dreams about what's going to happen to Egypt in the dark. It's the slaves who get freed in the dark, you know, the, the night of darkness and it's um, death that passes over us in the dark. It's Jesus who dies at three o'clock in the afternoon and in it gets the dark. dark. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. really good. So if there's really good things that happen in the dark, that's telling us something pretty significant about the dark. Wow, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. It is, and it is that. I think about when I'm praying and I... I'm, you know, what I'm just, oh, it's not me, it's God. When yeah. I feel his presence, it gets darker around me. Yeah. 
It's mm. not light. It's dark. It's the shadow, right? Yeah. It's the Psalm 91 shadow. It's well, not scary. The it's safe. shadow of his wings. Yeah. 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 Oh. Wow. Oh. Your senses can get heightened when it's dark because you're not relying on other things, so you can be more aware of things that you wouldn't otherwise be oh, aware yeah. of at times as well. Um, which is probably why, again, back to why... Uh, you know, so many of us find it hard to do meditation and mindfulness and mm-hmm. all of that because we're trying to sort of cut out all the distractions and then it's we're just there with ourselves and yeah. our feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's the best thing because right. we can be attentive and attuned to ourselves. And yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that and so many other things that we've just been talking about, again, takes me back to our episode maggie and we were talking about because some of the stuff that you were bringing out i was like that's cool that's cool but i don't like it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's cool but i don't want to do it yeah and particularly around the risk thing because there was a lot of risk that i took back then and it did not pay off in fact i was paying for the risks that i took for a long time so i got very risk averse mm. yeah <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Kim, Kim agrees with Lance's <laughs> risk aversion. Well, okay, so uh, we're not going to go there again, but I, but uh, that's a really great point. And I think, A, when you say it did not pay off, I mean, I don't know in this instance, but mm. for a lot of people, we feel that sometimes. And then maybe we have to step back and look at uh, first grieve, right? Yeah. Right. And mm. then... Again, there's the restructuring, and so this didn't pay off, like what I was hoping and expecting, but instead, what is in this? Like, what is my, you know, I don't know, find some way to move, I don't want to say move on, but accept that piece and find some, yeah, something. But then the other thing is, I guess we also want to say appropriate risk. So I don't know what kind of risks you were taking, but... (laughs) Uh, yeah. Good yeah. clarification. Yeah. Well, lear- yeah, learning how to calculate and then take a risk is an important skill. So that's a good point. You know, I, I want to talk a minute about the grief and um, with other living people and forgiveness and how mm-hmm. I think that's something to think about. So a lot of times our grief happens. Um, I, I, lo- I lost a good dear friend of mine who was going through a divorce and she could not get over it. And I think she died of a broken heart. Mm. I, I, yeah. Whatever the physical malady was, I think it was a broken heart. And how do, how do you, um, you know, when you when the relationship ends and the person's still there, whether it's divorce or just a breakup or a longtime friendship that has come to an end, and or or I don't know something that goes terribly wrong professionally and somebody's hurt you, you have to grieve that. But then there is the element of forgiveness because mm-hmm. if you don't forgive. Bitterness creeps in, and oh, then yeah. Yeah. it just it, there's a connection there for me when I think about about grief and forgiveness um, to people who are still alive, or maybe even people who have died. That you yeah. uh, you know they say that if you lose a a spouse or a parent or something where it wasn't a great relationship, that grief is almost worse than yeah. if you lose those people when it was a good relationship because you're mm-hmm. you can still be mad at a dead person, and you know how do you forgive and right. grieve and let go? Right. I don't know. That I, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Bo, Same. because think about how often in the church we get that reversed. Yeah. I mean, and well. maybe not just in the church, but especially in the church, because we're told to forgive. Mm-hmm. And so if you, so you're, you're divorced or whatever, you just need to forgive. 
forgive and move on, forgive and move on. And if you forgive too soon, if you forgive without grieving, which is what you said, both yeah. grieve and then forgive, if you then then bitterness does set in and resentment and all of those things because yeah. we've still got all that junk hold it. So grieve, grieve, let yourself grieve first and then yeah. we can forgive. Right. Yeah. I I I will never forget. Can I just share a story of that? Yes. Yeah. Um one of the this is so random that I would just remember this, but when I was, I don't know, this was in my 30s sometime, and um, my sister, my younger sister, had just lost her 15-month-old oh, son geez. not too long before that. And so she was in not a great place, obviously, and we were all home visiting, and uh, her two-year-old, three-year-old son at this point had spilled milk. Maybe he was four. I can't even remember. But the point is, she just kind of lashed out at him. And we were in seminary at the time, Bo, and so mm. I knew, you know, how you should treat a child and how, you know, mm. and I just wasn't sort of on, I don't know. Anyway, I'm like, hey, he didn't mean it. Let's, you know. Yeah. And she turned to me. Oh, my gosh. I can't even believe I'm going to share this. but. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully she won't hear this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let don't it share out. this episode let it with out. that friend. Yeah. <laughs> she said, you don't have kids. You'll never have kids. You don't know what it's like to oh. lay off. Oh, oh, my gosh. Ouch. Yes. I remember this, by the way. Yes, I'm sure you do. It yeah. was a rupture that lasted for a really long time because yeah. that was obviously already a painful thing for me. Mm-hmm. Talk about loss. It was like a button she knew to push. Oh yeah. We yeah. were all good at that as as families are yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And God bless her. She was in the midst of, right. you know. Yeah. But I I ended up lamenting myself like to God mm-hmm. just writing, you know, so much so that there's holes in the paper yeah. I'm writing so hard. Yeah. And and crying and all of these things because I knew that I did, was going to have to forgive her. Because I did not want to end up like my grandma and my aunt who didn't speak to each other for 50 years for whatever reason. I don't know, but right. it doesn't matter. Right. Um, so the, eventually I was able to forgive her and to love her and to, and, and like in a couple of days, you know, it yeah. still hurt. It took a long time to actually get over the pain, yeah. but, but to, to sort of see where she was and to allow for that and even to, recognize that I don't care how hurting you are. That's not something you say to somebody and and even all of those things. But I could not have done that if I just had heard, you just have to forgive. You just, you just, well, let it go. Just forget, you know, yeah, or just not let it go and then not be in a relationship. And I couldn't do either of those things. So I don't know why I just remembered that. So thanks for indulging that story. No, that's That's good. It's a good, um, I hate that that happened, but it's a good example of how to get through it. Um, Yeah. Because we all have been the recipient of hurtful words or from people we love, and we don't talk about the mm-hmm. pain behind it or how to grieve it. Yeah, it, I like your um, churchy. Just get over it. We have to forgive. Right. <laughs> so we don't awesome. want I love solar your Christians, and we don't want quick forgivers. <laughs> That's right. We don't want those. We want sincere. But forgivers. yeah, so Maggie, that and I think this. I think it was a book recommendation from a friend of ours. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Oh, um, free of charge. And so where the author talks about calling the offense an offense. Mm-hmm. So saying, yeah, it did happen and it was hurtful. Absolutely. And even if it's never acknowledged, 
you as an individual are saying that was wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. grieving that wrong thing. And then it's almost like you, ha- you've been given the key, right. To release yourself from this prison of unforgiveness that you put yourself in. Which then does allow you to call it out even with her. Exactly. And, and exactly. In, a, in, a, in a good way and say, yeah. you know what, that was hurtful and, yeah. you know, and actually have a conversation, which I did. Yeah. But uh, the thing that you just said that reminds me, you know what we don't do enough of because we don't do it for other people or hear it. So we've got to do it for ourselves is validate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just validate whatever we're feeling and something starts. It's like the penny drops. And the minute I can say, of course you're hurting, Maggie. Of yeah. course, that was so painful. Even if nobody else is around to do it or right. they won't do it. Right. I just like put my hand on my, sort of give myself a hug. Kind yeah. of, just, of course, yeah. And something happens. My emotions just sort of drop a little bit and, and it's a little bit more. So, That's so I, good. starting by validating yourself and finding some compassion. Yeah. And we can do it more for others too. Yeah. So it's like a form yeah. of self well like regulate it helps to regulate it's a way that you can self-regulate yeah Yeah. for sure you sounded real smart when you said (laughs) (laughs) self-regulate self-regulate because that's grammatically correct you know i wonder so the self-validation somebody the other day said to me i hate when i say thank you and they say no problem because it minimizes Mm. whatever they did to help you Mm, sure and so and it stuck with me because sometimes I'll say no problem. So I've started saying you're welcome. And I'm almost uncomfortable when I say, somebody says, thank you. And I'll say, oh, you're welcome instead of no problem because no mm. problem minimizes me. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. I just did what I needed to do, whatever. You know, whereas you're welcome means, yeah, I'm a value. I provided you yeah. value. And I think the self-regulation is in there too or feeling um, validated. You, 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 deserve a, you deserve a thank you when you do something. You should say you're welcome. And the self-validation is um, when somebody hurts you, you deserve to say that was really hurtful. Yeah. You, you matter. Yeah. You yeah. matter. And I hate the word deserve. I hardly ever use it. But in this case, you do. You do. You matter. Not you only do that. we deserve it, but we need it. We need it. Yeah. yeah. We need yeah. it. Yeah. Those yeah. core longings of, yeah. of love and understanding and right. all of those things. Yeah. I, li- yeah. I like how you just throw out like core longings and just say a couple things about it. Can you tell us? <laughs> What core longings are? <laughs> core longings for people you know. that don't know, don't understand the term. You know, uh, that's, that's a that's an important one. It's, you know? Man, it rules us. Our we 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 all have. You know that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, nope. right? Oh, well, those are like I need food and air and water. We'll and, put that in the know, show notes. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So these are sort of the emotional needs that we have to thrive okay and, and it's in a hierarchy it, it's not a hierarchy they're it's all equally yes, core yes important. and 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 they are god-given longings mm. right mm-hmm. to love and security like emotional security i can have i mean certainly physical but i can feel a certain way and i'm not going to get mocked for it yep. i'm going to get validated yeah understanding even if you don't understand why I feel the way I do. I mean, even if you don't feel the same way, right. you get why I feel that right. way. Mm-hmm. Purpose, we need to know that we have gifts and talents that are, you know, unique to us and that we can make a difference. Um, significance, we need to know, just like what you were saying, Bo, I matter. Mm-hmm. We need to know that we matter just because. And belonging, mm-hmm. we need to know that we belong. Right. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we belong. And those are... Uh, uh, 
we, when we're feeling those needs, we feel needy. When I want you to love me, when I want, I feel needy. Some of us who don't like to feel feelings, right? Mm -hmm. We feel needy, so Mm -hmm. we shut it down. But really, those are God-given longings to drive us back to him. Right, They're clues. Yeah. 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 So when do you develop that, your your understanding of your core needs? Um, Is that a childhood development thing? Yeah, 100%. I mean, but as you grow... I, I don't, I, I mean, we come out of the womb with those needs mm. and probably the more we don't get those needs met, the more we start recognizing those, that pain is there. And then we start doing coping things to right. cover the pain or to get those needs, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places, all those kinds of things. So Makes again, sense. they're in there to drive us back to God and, and cause He's That's the only good. one that can 100% give us those things. I can right. I can get love from you as a resource, but he is my source. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? That makes complete sense. So it's like a part of our makeup is to have these needs. It's a part of our it's a part of our core, so it's mm-hmm. a part of our it's a part of our makeup. That's how I'm interpreting it. And we get aware really quickly if there's a deficit. And if there is a deficit, our natural inclination is to fill it. Yes. And it's probably a lot easier to fill it with things that we shouldn't be filling it with. Because we don't want to feel that pain. Just like yeah. you said, mm-hmm. I am, I love comfort. Bo, you said Ma- yeah. Maggie knows I love, I love comfort. And, yeah. and so we can't sit in that pain to get that need met in a healthy way. So we just do something quick. And so hmm. to bring it back to grief, and then I'll be quiet. For, but to bring it back to grief. <laughs> you don't have to be. Yeah, you. you don't have to be yeah, quiet. You, have to be quiet. <laughs> um, you guys just validated me. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> it. <laughs> um, when we don't have those needs met, yeah. there's loss, yeah. right? And then when we, say, lose a person who either gave us those needs, who met those needs for us in some certain way, or uh, who didn't. Either way, there is loss within that loss. Right. So hmm. five people lose their husband on the same day. They've all experienced the loss of their husband. One experienced also the loss of her best friend. One experienced the loss of her provider. One experienced the loss of, you know, so yeah. there's loss within yeah. the loss too. Hmm. So it's, it's, and those core longings certainly can point to losses that you've not gotten met. Yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, I love what you said about there's, you essentially said there's layers, right? Yeah. Those little pockets in the suitcase. Yeah. Right. right. And so that just brings to mind a question I don't have an answer to, but. You, when you're when you are really in it, and you all have gone through things, and you know when you're really in it, and you're experiencing grief about the best friend, you're experiencing grief about uh, you lost your husband, you're experiencing the grief about in all of those layers, and they're all hitting you at the same time. Mm. How do you how do you go about addressing it? Do you address it in? Do, I don't know. How do you go about addressing it? The layers. Yeah, the layers, because they're all hitting you at the same time. Are you aware that they're hitting you at the same time? Right. Are you, is it overwhelming? Do you just get knocked over by it and then you slowly address it? Is it all of these things? In your own experience, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, that would, because everyone's so unique, right? Like everyone's going to deal with it different. So, yeah, I mean, I know for me, 
there's sort of this like if you if you give it a um like the movie scene of, you know, I would just need to walk through it with like headphones on, some indie music playing in the background and it's a little cloudy and rainy. And like, like for me, that's my unique, like I, I got to walk this line, but say someone else comes in, they're like, I got a grave with jokes and we have to do it this way. And I'm all like, whoa. So that's their <laughs> grief, right? Yeah. And the movies clash. And you're like, I don't even know what's happening. So I think in that process, yeah, you have to know what is that? That self-differentiated, like, okay, like we're walking this same road. We're grieving the same person, but not the same way. And not the same things about that person. And not the same things about that person. Wow. So I know what I have to do and I know what I need to do to manage that for me. And then, you know, the, the family that I'm responsible to be mother to and wife to and all of that. And so learning my, my boundaries and saying, Hey, like I can do this right now, Mm -hmm. but I can't do these things. And I know you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so understanding that I think helps visualize like, all right, well, this wave is coming. I have to deal with that one first because it's on its way or it's here. And then so, I just have to do the next one. So your kind of answer in there is really interesting because it's, it's in my mind, it demonstrates a lot of self-awareness. So what you're, what I hear you saying, little marriage conversation practice here, <laughs> <laughs> what I hear you saying it's so validating <laughs> is you have an understanding in yourself of how you grieve mm-hmm. and it is in maybe humans tendencies when you when you when you and people close to you experience a level of grief that is all interlinked between you and a group of other people right right but for you it's you you experience it in a specific way mm-hmm. what i hear you saying is that it's important to know that you have a process of grief mm-hmm. and that you don't have to grieve the way other people want you to grieve because that can be a thing right so you give yourself enough well, I don't know how, how to put that, but the boundaries in space you, sort of you you give yourself the gift yes. of grieving the way yeah. that you know to grieve. Right. Well, because I know, and this, I think she mentions it in the Who's Jacko she? podcast. What's her name? Oh, Ryan Mannion. Ryan. So she says, when you don't grieve, because you said it's it's whole body, right? If you don't grieve, something happens to your cells, like on a Absolutely. cellular level. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. your body will start to break down. Absolutely. It, your body knows first. You feel the pain in your body first before you even know what the feeling is. Yep. So yep. for me, in order to stay alive, basically, I had to create walls or boundaries, right, to be able to walk my grief road and stay alive. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as, as she said, the waves get lighter and there's more space in between and all that, so... So this would be a story for another time, but this would lead me to obvious question. Do you think 2019 in that way was a was a training for you to one hundred percent? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Interesting. I liked it that the Lord pre-trained in something I didn't want, and then was like, "Oh, look, now you can do that, and it won't be as hard." Mm. He does yeah. that. He's kind like that. He is wow. kind like that. Wow, that's wow. Yeah, oh. I, I like. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Just to think about that. I bet we could find all the, a lot of those places in our lives. Definitely. 
Um, the other thing, Lance, that you mentioned when you were saying to her, with the word you mentioned, which I think is key, is process. Mm. You said something about giving yourself the process of grieving or something, however you said it. Yeah. And I just think that's a good thing that we, we need to encourage everyone to remember that it is a process and it is it and it doesn't look the same the other i'm glad we've not really mentioned those stages of grief yeah yeah Yeah. because that makes people think i need to go through these stages i need to experience them linearly in this order they gotta be linear they gotta be in an order and they aren't no and i think the stages are important but you're right you can go back and forth you can yeah, it, it's it's your own little piece of art on how that happens. Absolutely, for you, I think I think that's right. That's a yeah. good quote. It's your own piece of art. Yeah, that you get to do yeah. or go through yourself. Mm. That's a good quote. Which is actually also a good thing to do. Art, art is yes, right. Go back and listen to the art episode, season two. Yeah, it's season two. I don't remember the episode. Maybe you can look it up real quick. Yeah. So Tony, Tony Gardner, Tony and goes Jenkins. through how he processed a lot of his awesome. trauma and social work through art. Oh, Perfect. That's excellent. I it was, that. he was, he, he went through doing art and really getting into art. And he realized after about a year of doing it, that he had been processing through a lot of trauma. That's good. Oh, that. that's good. It was a really, fa- it was a really, really amazing story. Um, I kind of want to go back. I had a couple of thoughts from a couple of things, unless somebody else wanted to share a thought. I don't want to miss anybody. Okay. The unpreparedness of it, I kind of talked about that in pieces. We've all kind of touched on it here and there and being unprepared for something like grief and how to be more prepared, how to anticipate the grief. And we've kind of touched on that a little bit. And all of that kind of goes back to some a collection of different things I've kind of been thinking about and processing and, you know, not to talk about a society at large so much as to talk about myself because I was not prepared, which is fine to go, to go through what I went through. I wasn't prepared to be like, I don't know, uh, to handle it and not get knocked down. It did knock me down. And in the getting knocked down, we kind of talked about this a little bit too. There's, There's things when you don't forgive and you don't process your grief. There's things physically that can happen to you, and there's things that happen. But one of the things that happened within me was how I would describe it is bitterness, Mm -hmm. seeds of bitterness. Mm -hmm. Those got that got in, and especially when I saw other people starting to succeed and graduate and do things that they went to school to do, and I wasn't doing it. There'd be bitterness, and the and then things would things would anger would manifest and project onto things mm. that it shouldn't, that it shouldn't be. I get really angry church. I get really angry at church things. And mm. that, that could be a cacophony of different like church things, but like going to church, I'd be mad that everybody was like singing these songs. <laughs> I'd be, when people would pray, I'd be mad. Like, this is so stupid mm. that you're praying. Like, is anybody even listening to your prayer? Does it even matter? Is it even affecting anything? You mm. mentioned something like yeah, that. Like, yeah. why are we even, what yeah, are we even God. doing this for? Right. Um, and that was something that ha- had to get addressed over time because that bitterness, that'll really kill you. Yes. Really ki- will kill you over time. I think we talked about that in our episode to some extent, how somebody can grow in the background. And if you don't know how to deal with it or you don't deal with it, that it'll, it'll, that'll take you out. Um, and so that connected with other things that I've been thinking about is being 
more prepared in life as an individual, more prepared for life as an individual, especially watching my kids grow up. How do I best prepare them for this hellish thing that life can be? Mm. Life can be really beautiful, but life can be extremely hellish. So how can I best help my kids be prepared for the inevitable, really hard things that are going to happen? And then I went back and I thought about different things that help me in in life. Again, these are just things I've been thinking about over the last couple of months. Then you guys can say whatever. I wanted to make sure that we could kind of get into this because we have about 20 minutes to go. Um, so the last, th- the last thing to kind of tie my thought together in as, as good of a bow as I'm going to get this collection of thoughts is uh, one, martial arts, doing martial arts and mm-hmm. physically being able to... S- be challenged, have to overcome the challenge. You can listen to the episode because John Bennett, my old karate instructor, and I, we talk about this concept and military people talk about this as well because in that you go through a lot of physical challenges which then turn into mental challenges which then also turn into emotional challenges. Right. And then you figure out how to kind of essentially, what I'm talking about is the process of figuring out how to conquer yourself. Yeah. Which then helps mm-hmm. you learn how to address risk. Yeah. Because then you're not so risk averse because you've you've been able to conquer and have victory. And the more small victories that you can have in your life actually I think stack up in a sort of a figurative tower and that helps to be a bulwark against the challenges and the difficulties of life. Yeah. Finally, there's a list uh there is on my list of books to read. One of the big ones is The Coddling of Amer- the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Ooh. And in that book he talks my understanding is that he talks a lot about helicopter parenting and mm-hmm. how in the past kids used to go out for 12, 14 hours a day, no parent contact and would just figure out the world. That was you. That oh, was totally did that. South, that's why you're so awesome. South Ohio. <laughs> now we know. So anyway, that's, those are a bunch of thoughts that I've been having. And like we as a, a society, it does seem we maybe have a tendency to be overprotective of a younger generation. And I've just been thinking about that. I don't have any solutions because I don't have any solutions. Um, But those are just things that I've been thinking about. But as I think about my kids, I want to make sure that I don't protect them from everything and and that I provide them, hopefully, some environments where they can be challenged and figure out how strong they are so that they can gain levels and strength. You want them to be resilient. You want to build resiliency in them. And that's funny. On um, TikTok or the Reels on Facebook, there are these Gen X ones where they're like, Gen Xers can... You know, we were left alone for 14 hours a day. We didn't have cell phones. All yeah. we had was, you know, Kool-Aid and crackers. I mean, there's these fun, funny Gen X reels. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But every time I'm, I'm like, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's me. And we really did. We really, I mean, not that our parents were around, but they just let us go. You know, you get on your mm-hmm. bicycle, you'd go to school, you get done with school, you'd go play Pac-Man at the, the Handy Mart, and then you'd ride your bike to your friend's house, then you'd call your parents at eight and ask them to come get you. I mean, you just yeah. were kind of on your own. We were... Raised in the wild mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit. Which is so good. It's so good. <laughs> but it's hard to do that now. I mean, yeah. yes. I do think the helicopter parenting and the the um, coddling, I've seen it as an employer and sometimes in young people that I hire, I'm like, mm. what's going on with you? I don't know what's wrong can with you, you. Yeah. Can you do stuff? No? Yeah. Can okay. you? Are you going to cry every time I tell you it's not right? Can you do it yeah. better? And then you cry. I don't Why are you crying? But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> We talk about but I think it's hard to, I think it's harder in today's society I mean yeah. you would be crazy today to let your kids just go free you know mm-hmm. it's a scary time yeah. to do that but I'm in a culture yeah. of moms who are fighting 
to let our kids be more free to send them out after dark and let them stay out an hour longer after dark. We're not not insane people for letting our kids play. Yeah. You're not after dark. There's also a difference between letting your kid go through like the subway system at New York (laughs) and let your kid go ride a bike around the block. In Jackson, Ohio. That's right. That's right. It's gotta be the media thing though. That's like, Oh no, there's been, However many thousands of abductions of children were like, oh, it happens every second to every kid every day. Whoa. It no, doesn't. That's no. not true. Yeah. You know. Uh, I think um, letting them fail, too, when you guys are talking about the coddling yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I think learning to fail, and I'm sure that's what happened in your martial arts and mm-hmm. in your, you know, and as the drop, drop kick or whatever you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. I'm the about, roundhouse kick. Yeah. 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 Yep. To so, the face. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think we need to learn how to fail and be, and have somebody comforting us and, you know, helping us walk through it yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Fail, Absolutely. Failure without judgment is important. You go take a test at yeah, school and you good. fail and then you get judged. But like some video games are good for failure learning too. Mm-hmm. I mean, where you fail and you have to get better, you have to get better. But then some video games I just learned, you can buy your way up. Oh, and yeah. That's nuts. No. If you <laughs> don't have skill, that's it. There's no buying your way up. Right? That's- so pay to play is dangerous. Is pay to play saying. is bad. Yeah. Dangerous. <laughs> I, was, I was just talking about this with – so there's a, there's a group of people that I will occasionally game with if I have time. And uh, – and like we like to talk, and like we're on a text string together and everything, and we were talking about some new Call of Duty that came out this week, and then I I checked the price, and apparently new brand new video games are now seventy dollars where they used to be sixty. I'm like seventy dollars, and there was I didn't buy it, and there was a hundred dollar uh, version of this game that came up too, and then I mm-hmm. went on my rant about. Yeah, when you get into these video games, then you got to buy this thing that gives you this pass and right. then gives you all these little unlocks. So that's funny that you brought that up. Yeah. Literally had a real life conversation. He needs to grieve about the expensive video games of today. I do. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> um, anyway, did I was just curious if any of you any any of you had any other thoughts about my 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 rant there about how to prepare kids? Yeah, like how to prepare kids, how to prepare yourself if you're if you're listening to this and maybe you're like, I didn't have 75% of the core needs that Maggie met, how, how do I address it? Or if you're in a state, I mean, I even think about people that are in a state of like, I'm intense grief. I've had tons of loss. I definitely recognize I haven't been dealing with it well. I've been coping. How do you get out of that quicksand? Yeah, I need to know the answer to that, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Notice I'm turning. We're all the looking wall. at Maggie. You guys <laughs> can't see it, but we, we are. We just swiveled. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting you would say the word quicksand. Because mm. what happens, you, first of all, let me just ask you this. I feel like we talked about this before, but Probably. it just cracks me up. When is the last time any of us have ever encountered quicksand? In a video game. Uh, seriously? <laughs> seriously, they oh, haven't made know. a video I made, I made that up. I'm oh. sure, no, I'm sure that's real, though. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say I've never encountered quicksand. I've never no. personally encountered quicksand. I watched it on life. Scooby-Doo. Exactly. We've seen it on TV. Yeah. But, but yeah. yet, tell me what happens. How do you make things worse for yourself in quicksand? If you struggle. You move. There. Struggle. There. Struggle. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you're saying, how do I get out of this quicksand, when you struggle, you're just... 
sucking yourself deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah. So when we struggle in these feelings, mm-hmm. I don't want to feel them. How do I stop them? How do I get out of them? We're just sucking ourselves back into it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's good. So allowing it. Just noticing it, just doing things like go back and listen to your art podcast. It's episode eighteen. Thank episode you. Well done. All right, uh, and 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 then connect with somebody safe that can be there with you and start telling your story. Mm. You know, just again touching it a little bit at a time mm. and realizing, like you and Kim were talking about, it's a process, and um, so it's not all going to be. Once you've decided, once you've made that decision, okay, I'm tired of being in this, so it's not going to happen just overnight. But there's such, in the very beginning, Lance, you started with those thoughts of grief is raw, grief is, you know, all those things. And it was so heavy Mm. because it is. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, and this is not an at least or a but still, Mm -hmm. but it is reality that there can be some beauty in it. And oh, I, for sure. And I, and it's going to be different for all of us. And I don't. Mm-hmm. We're not saying let's go into it with, and you know, find the beauty, but allow yourself to feel the pain because there will be some some nuggets on the other side. And I don't know what they'll be. They'll be different for all of us. Well, you but. know, I, I think I love that because I mm-hmm. know for me, like I dream, I have dreams a lot where my brothers or parents are in the dreams, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're disheartening, but usually they're positive. And then hmm. your memories do shift from the sickness or the trauma to, hmm. you know, the memories of the person. And that's that's pretty cool to have yeah. those memories or think about them. And, yeah. Um, wow. It, for the death of grief, I mean. So, that's yeah. exciting on some level. That feels weird to say exciting. Yeah. But that means you're moving through yeah. the process, right? Because yeah. right? if, if, you can start to see the positives and the good memories again. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, I talk about my dad a lot, probably more than anybody, because my mom has been gone so long. Mm. And then my brothers, I loved them. They lived, they lived really hard lives. I occasionally, but my dad was like a, I don't know how to explain my dad. He was a, he was a big personality. He was a, I mean, he wasn't like, he wasn't like Tom in that way, but he was a larger than life person in some ways. And, um, that's how we saw him in our family and just a good guy. Love Jesus, love people, mm-hmm. would do anything for anybody and also a little goofy. And so all of that combined, it just comes up day to day. Like there's some red memory every time I turn around and that's he was been a, a very really well thing. loved man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think that's a really good place to kind of maybe circle our thoughts on for, for the end. But the, the beauty it's really hard when you're in the midst of it to find beauty or even think about beauty. But the reality is that there is beauty that can come from deep tragedy. Not, I'm not talking about grief. I'm, I'm talking about like the tragedy. Grief is part of the tragedy. Yeah. But in the culmination, grief isn't supposed to be the end of the journey. Mm. Um, there's, there's other, there's other things and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I remember that concept was impossible to think about for me during during my my my, uh, my situation. Ryan Mannion talks about there was a they had a tight family. 
uh, her dad was a military guy. Her brother went into the military. So like there was a, there was history. There was probably family members that were in the military and everything. At, sometime after, I think they had buried Travis. They were all at a, at a get together and at somebody's house, and they're all going through the process. Before his death, Travis asked his dad to do the marathon, the Marine marathon with him. And his dad hadn't done running in a long time, but I think his dad was in the Marines, and I think they said something like his dad did the, the Marine Marathon. So he said, yes, I'll, I'll do that with you. So at this family gathering, the dad all of a sudden is like, I'm doing, I'm doing the marathon. And then one by one, each family member, not each, but the majority of the family members, like hit the dad's brother was like, I'll do it with you, Tom. And uh, then <laughs> Ryan talks about how everybody looked at her like she felt all of the the room <laughs> turn to her, and she's like, "I'm not running a stupid marathon, yeah, doing that." <laughs> and then finally, she's like, "All right, I'll do it." So she started training for this marathon, chain smoking, and all this other stuff. So <laughs> she was going through her process, but somehow she got her brother's iPod, like back when they had iPods. Like I she know. was able to get her brother's iPod that he had on deployment with him, and wow. they shared a similar love of music, I think. And so she basically had his soundtrack for when he was on deployment. And that's what she trained with for this Mm. marathon. And she did. And it's a beautiful part of the book that they talk about. And I didn't even read the book. So I got to go and actually read the book. But they talk about going on. She talks about doing the marathon and she wasn't in the greatest shape. She was smoking like I don't she said at least a pack a day or something like that. And she still did the marathon. She talked about getting to mile like 20, whatever. She had seven miles to go. So I guess mile 19 or something like that. And uh, she's like, I've, I've gone far enough. I, I, nobody's going to be upset if I quit. You know, mm-hmm. like the whole, like, yes. get, seek your comfort. This mm-hmm. is too challenging. Her joints were starting to hurt really bad and all this other stuff. So she goes through this mental back and forth. And then finally she's like, she pushed through it. Mm-hmm. And she did it. And she said all the aches and pains went away. And then she went through and did it. And then she goes through and just talks about how that led to uh, these other physical things that she did. And her brother was like all state wrestling champ did all this stuff and she didn't do any of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but she talks about in the process of grieving how she started doing these things she never would have done and then thinking about how travis would have loved to have done it Mm -hmm. and there's even some grief there where she's like i wish while he was here Mm -hmm. i would have partied less in high school Mm -hmm. and been less of a i would have been more responsible in high school like my brother and done more things like that with my brother and so i guess Maybe maybe any closing comments that you guys have as you're thinking about the grief process. Maybe we can just kind of focus it on anything beautiful that arises out of the tragedy, whatever it looks like for you. For me, it just looks as, as it, I, I think I would just say it's as simple as not being paralyzed anymore. Mm by the things that I was paralyzed by. And in that, you can see that you're, you not, you can't see, you have just a knowledge in your bones that I'm, I'm better. I'm stronger. And I'm a, a more beautiful creation than I would have been without having walked through that. Yeah. And it's like the, it's like, and it just makes me think of like after a fire, things that grow after a fire, mm. things that get 
beautiful things that get built after after destruction like what can come out of of something destructive yeah because it's never supposed to be that it's never supposed the destruction and death and chaos that's not supposed to be the end right. of the story there's supposed to be something bigger those are my thoughts what are your guys' thoughts in closing i'll go um i i have two thoughts one is um the beauty i think the beauty of the grief that i've walked through and i'm still walking through Mm-hmm. Still, I think, well, it, the memory of my, my family, it's still there. And, um, but what I've appreciated about it is somehow I, I bring it out in other people when they're having grief or they're struggling and I don't know what I do. In fact, it's probably not me. It's probably God, but because I've been there, I can listen to it. I have a guy pouring concrete patio for me. He's been in my house twice. Both times he's told me stories about people he's lost and how hard it's been. Mm-hmm. And I I don't I love the conversation by the way I love that but that happens to me a lot mm-hmm. and I think that's a gift that God has given me from all the death that I personally have experienced and I like that but the final good thing about death and grief and the beauty of it is is it's not done mm-hmm. yeah and um we get we get to go to heaven we get to see these people again um I once heard um, a sermon right after my mom had died. It was Mother's Day, and we thought it was a good idea to go to church on Mother's Day. It was awful. We shouldn't have gone. But but this guy was speaking. He was like a traveling evangelist down in Jackson. And I guess the guy who was the right hand of Moody um, up in Chicago, oh, yeah. I forget the guy's name, but his son died really young. And one, one day he was praying, and, um, you know, I God, why did you take my son? This is so hard, whatever. And all of a sudden he heard his son say to him, Dad, I'm right here. You can't see it, but there's a thin veil that um, is is separating us. And I'm here just like I was here when I was alive. And you'll wow. see me again one day. And it, he had this whole kind of vision with his son, and it it was so powerful. And that's always stuck with me. That wow. You know, none of us know how this works, right? Except yeah. that we know that it does work because of the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. But um, this isn't forever, and that's the other beautiful part of it for me epic that's amazing beautiful i really like what you said about being able to be there for people because yeah nobody nobody could do that as good as you because if somebody is in that situation it's like they're in the middle of a a storm in the sea and you need somebody that can reach in and help kind of pull you out and that's that's an amazing gift Did you have any closing thoughts, Maggie, Kim? Yeah, I mean, I think just, um, I'm just going to hang on to to that permission to be in the darkness and and hang out there. And and that um, longer than is humanly comfortable. So like three days in the tomb, Jonah was in the whale for three days. Um, Paul was blind for three days. Um, Just that, and the moon, um, when there's a new moon, it takes three days for the first sliver of the waxing moon to, to start to brighten up the sky. So let, letting the even total darkness be, have permission to be there and, and do its work in me and around me and, um, and, and wait for whatever the Lord wants to do because I know it's going to be good, even though it might suck in the current situation um, and, and being okay with that too and talking to him about that too. Sometimes you got to embrace the suck. You do. That's a Jocko quote. <laughs> it's true. I like that. It can make you stronger. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, one of my favorite concepts is that of liminal space. Mm. You know, liminal space? No. 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 It's that space in between where what was is no longer. And a lot of times you don't want what was. Right. A lot of times you do. But mm. for whatever reason, it was no, it is no longer. Mm-hmm. And what is going to be is not yet. We don't mm. know what life is going to look like without this person or without this thing yeah. yet. We're just right here in the middle, in this liminal space. And I think it's Richard Rohr that says uh, the liminal space, if we allow ourselves to be in it, mm. is where the transformation happens. Right. It's where God can do his work in that space. So in the darkness, in the in-between before we know, you know. Mm. And I think just being able to it's not it, not rest in it, but just allow ourselves to be in it and acknowledge that that's where I am and it's okay. There still is a what is to come. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, like Bo, you were saying, the, the really what is to come. Can I share? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you were talking about humor and in the grief, I don't know why this came up just a minute ago, but so I didn't really talk a lot about the different griefs that I had, but one of the one of the things is my father, who had multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. and uh, was um, quadriplegic, so c- paralyzed basically from neck down wow. from for since I was six, I think, Whoa. so wow. our whole life, basically. And uh, <laughs> when he died at the age of 70-something, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of grief there. There was also some joy that now he's walking yeah. and, you know. But he was almost as large of as uh, ha- large, uh, large as life. Yes, Lar- that word yeah. as mm-hmm. as Red Bo's dad, uh, but from a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he died, we were in the funeral home, and everybody had left to go to the church, and this was the morning of the funeral, and so it was just family. Now I have four siblings and my mom. Mm-hmm. We were surrounding the casket in the funeral home before they carry the casket out to the hearse to then go to the church for the actual funeral home. So we're standing around the casket, and one of my brothers, I see him sort of nod to the funeral director. And all of a sudden, as we're standing there, and it's like this is whoever it was saying, like, this is the end. I have to leave that. Maybe you were talking about Ryan's. uh, You know, this is like the hardest part. This is going to be the last moment when we're really with him and we're all feeling it. And it's all, you know, and all of a sudden come blaring through the speakers. Dun, 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 dun. Rocky. Yes. And we all just lost it. My brother had set this up. So as they're carrying the casket to the hearse, we hear the Rocky theme blaring. And we all have this image of dad, like, jogging up the steps of heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's just so fabulous. Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love it. So I don't know what made me think of that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then one more thing, if can I just do a little promotion here? Yeah, please do. Obviously. So you talk about Bo being able to be with people. I think that's one of the things that a lot of the things that I went through has brought me to actually changing complete careers and being now able to sit with people so much more. And I don't know if you guys know, but since I saw you last, I've changed jobs. Yes, congratulations. Yes. You have? So I, I, did, I didn't know this. I am the executive director of the Healing Care Center. Now. Okay. So pretty much everybody that we 
um, work with has experienced loss and is in the midst of grief and for whatever reason, lots of trauma, all of those things. So I just want to say that if we do like week-long intensives and you come and you just let it out and, and find some little bit of transformation or some large bit of transformation with people who are safe and can sit with you and your, and help lead you through it. And so I just, if you're in the midst of that in any way, or you know, somebody is, I just wanted to offer that as a resource. And so we can put that in the show notes, like how to get in touch with us. And yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and let us know in the recording too. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, so it's the healing care center, which is outside of Ashland. We have, um, 13 acres, beautiful property. Um, Is there a website? Yes, thehealingcarecenter.org. .org, okay, mm-hmm. healingcarecenter.org. And we are in the midst of updating that website, So, but they'll still give you enough information at this point, but soon it's going to be even better. When's the next so, session? The next, uh, we, we're we just ongoing. Anytime oh, it's, you, it's regular. It's regular. Anytime you need it. We do retreats okay. like three or four times a year, but uh, this is just if you are in the midst of something we customize a week long. And so you just come and you stay for a week and we sit with you and we grieve with you and we help you find Jesus mostly is what we do. It's help you experience Jesus in your pain. And, um, and so whatever week works for you, we generally, other than holidays or when we've got a retreat going on, we can schedule it. Kim and I were roommates at one of these retreats. It's true. We were roommates and we, we went through the retreat, and I mean, I can't say enough about it. They're really transformational. Wonderful. For sure. Okay, yes. well, I just connected the dots, so it's the healing care that I've heard. Yeah. Yes, yes. Her. And now okay. we have a center where we you didn't do all before, of it. Right? Right. That uh, opened in 2020. Wow. And uh, so... Because you guys just, were looking for a while, Yeah, we right? were looking for, for property, and finally they found something, and then COVID. Yeah. So they got it started, <laughs> and they just brought me into sort of take over and go through the next season. And just yesterday I was up there actually doing an intensive with someone and it was kind of hard to (laughs) concentrate for a moment. As I'm looking out the window, I'm Mm. seeing the construction guys measuring for the cabins because we're going to, we're building like eight cabins for people to come. So it's really exciting. But again, at the moment we've got like 17 caregivers that um, are able to, to just help. So Yeah. Well with you running the show, I think yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. just all the possibilities I'm now. Yeah. So. Into shape. yeah. And look so, out, folks. so specifically these are people who are they're kind of hitting the wall and they're walking through it and they need to could have be. some guidance. Could be. We do ongoing care, like you know, regular on online sessions, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also do the week long intensives and it can be if you're in crisis, if you've hit the wall, if you've just been in something for a long time and you can't get past it. Yeah. And then we have other people who are just like, you know what? I just know there's more and I'm just yeah. kind of feeling. Ugh. Right. And so I've said, I'm going to set this time aside. I'm going to take this week and take a week off of work and have somebody take care of the kids. And I'm just going to focus on me for a week. Yeah. And which it's isn't pretty long. amazing. It's right. not too long. Right. Really. It's possible. It is possible. It's, yeah. yeah. So thanks for letting me. Absolutely. Yes. That's, <laughs> That's huge. I have some ideas and thoughts. Uh, so I would just say to that, uh, kind of tack onto that, because uh, you've been listening to this episode, we've been talking a lot about losing somebody. Maybe you've never lost anybody, but I firmly believe that in going through COVID and everything else over the last three years, I think we've all, as individuals within our society, within on the globe, I think we've all gone through stuff and we don't know the extent to which it has affected us negatively. And 
if you if any if you've heard anything that we've talked about and it's resonated in any way, there's a good chance that even if you've not in quotes experienced death of a of a of somebody in your life, you've probably experienced the death of something. I was working from home by myself most of the day yesterday because you guys were all gone, and I had the thought at the end of the day. The thought was in my mind all day. I just didn't figure out what it was until the end of the day. I was aware of the thought that I was having. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's self-awareness that Maggie was helping us with in the first or in the episode five, season yep. one. Mm-hmm. I was aware that I was like, oh my gosh, I've been in this house by myself all day. I haven't had human contact all day, like actual be, being in proximity to somebody. And then I immediately thought, how hard has it been for single people mm. to oh, yes. go through this? Yeah. 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 Right. Especially yeah. young people fresh out of college. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. All, but all across the spectrum, it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. Like, and that's just what I mean. I had that thought and I don't have an answer for that. But if you feel like, oh, yeah, there's I think the dead giveaway is when you're aware that, oh, I react in a way that doesn't really make sense in this situation. Right. Yeah. Something's off or could <laughs> yeah. be off. So I need to go really be around some sign. people. Yeah. 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 So I don't know why I laughed at that. It struck me as funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm acting away. Well, it it's comical. Yeah. yeah it it is. Is. No. In the insanity. It's yeah, comical. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, thanks to everybody, everybody so much for listening. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Bo. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Kim, for coming. You're it welcome. was a great discussion. Uh, hope we can do it again sometime. Thanks. It was yeah. really fun. Yeah, and yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having us. What a weird yeah. thing to say. It was really fun talking about <laughs> talking about <laughs> grief. Yeah. Hey, if you can't look into the abyss with people, that's right. So good. That's yes. right. You know, that's right. That's right. It's easier. So, all right, everybody, um, have a great rest of your day. We will see you next time. So long. Bye.